Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. We've almost made it through another week. Just one more day to go until Halloween weekend. I'm super excited to take my kids trick-or-treating, but first we've got to get through all the scary stuff that Ohio did this week. Just kidding, sort of. To help me out this week, we've got Haley B. Miller. She's our congressional reporter, which means she writes about our federal lawmakers. So think, you know, Rob Portman, Jim Jordan, all those folks. She's also got an adorable black cat at home, and I'm curious to know whether he gets dressed up for Halloween. He does not because he is just a costume in himself. He uh, <laughs> he is a Halloween cat by birth. That's true. And our first topic is one Haley's been covering a lot, and that's the upcoming election. So on Tuesday, it's election day. And if you live around Columbus or Cleveland, it's actually federal election day. So we had two incumbent representatives leave before their terms ended. Marsha Fudge went to work for the Biden administration and Steve Stivers. Well, he decided he'd rather run the Chamber of Commerce. So are either of these races competitive? What are you kind of expecting to see? So up in uh, Ohio's 11th Congressional District, which is uh, where Marsha Fudge was at, that is a super Democratic district. The um, Cook Partisan Report has it um, favoring Democrats by 30 points. So uh, Chantel Brown, who's a Democratic candidate up there, pretty much has it in the bag. She's uh, running against Laverne Gore, but uh, Chantel had a... um, pretty intense primary against uh, Nina Turner in August. And so, you know, but she made it through that. And so now, you know, that district is pretty much seen as in the bag for her. And the 15th, uh, we have State Representative Alan Russo, who's a Democrat running against Mike Carey. He was, um, he's been a longtime coal lobbyist. He's never held public office or anything. That district is pretty favorable to Republicans, not to the same extent that uh, the 11th is for Democrats. So he's, Carey is seen as the favored one for that race. That said, you know, Russo has been making it interesting. She's actually like outraised him a little bit, which surprised me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I am um, not by much, but like enough that, you know, it, it caught my eye and definitely, especially because he's had a lot of um, support from national GOP players. I definitely didn't expect him to fall behind on that front. So she's making it interesting and she's not running as a super progressive candidate or anything. I think she recognizes that the reality of her district, which is basically half suburban and half rural. So yeah, it runs from like Columbus to Vinton County. So like, it's kind of wild if you like look at like the cross section of people in that district. Cause like Russo is in upper Arlington, but this district goes all the way down near Athens. Yeah. It's a super weird district and it does have a lot of rural conservative areas that are definitely going to, be favorable to Kerry, especially because, you know, Kerry's was endorsed in the GOP primary by uh, former President Donald Trump. A lot of these rural areas in the 15th are very pro-Trump. The district went strongly for him in 2020. So, so Kerry, at the end of the day, probably has this one, but Russo is definitely giving him a run for his money. 
And I don't want you guys to forget that there's a ton of local candidates on your ballot. Like seriously, school boards, city councils, township trustees, like these people have way more power over your daily life than your congressperson. And, you know, all of our the newspapers that Haley and I write for have like great voter guides. So you should probably take some time this weekend, you know, eat some Halloween candy, assess who you want to vote for. But I'll step down off my soapbox and move on to our next topic, which is the Ohio School Board Association. So speaking of school boards, um, the School Board Association says it no longer wants to be friends with its parent group. Basically, what happened was the National Association of School Boards uh, wrote to President Joe Biden and said, hey, there's a lot of violence at school board meetings lately over mask mandates, vaccination, how we teach history. This is like the critical race theory fight. And they said, look, there's been a lot of violence. There's been threats made to school board members. Maybe DOJ, maybe FBI can come in and investigate. And the Biden administration was like, sure. And conservatives were like, wait, let's hold on a minute. Like, I don't want the FBI at my school board meeting. And so the national group walked the letter back, sort of apologized for it. But the Ohio board was like, I don't know that we want to be friends with you guys anymore. (laughs) Was that a surprising move? Do you feel like? I mean, I just I find it interesting that they would take that strong of a stance after this. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is the Republicans control the Ohio House. The Republicans control the Ohio Senate. The Republicans control all the statewide elected offices in Ohio. And, you know, Attorney General Dave Yost was super pissed. He wrote this letter saying, like, this seems more like we want to keep people of a certain ideology from coming to school board meetings than we want to protect school board members. So I think you got to you got to look around at the landscape and sort of ask yourself, like, if we want to lobby for Ohio school boards, do we want to be seen as associated with this group that did this thing that pissed the people in power off? Does that make sense? Yeah. Does this affect the Ohio board at all, not being part of the national group, or is it just sort of a symbolic thing? I think it's more symbolic. I mean, I guess they won't be going to, like, the national convention where they all get together, but... (laughs) Oh, darn. I know. But yeah, it seems to be much more of just like their way of saying, hey, we weren't consulted on this letter. We think that these issues, while terrible, like seriously, like nobody, no elected official should have someone roll up to their house in the middle of the night and like bang on their door and scream that they're what's wrong with America. That actually happened to uh, an Ohio school board candidate down near Dayton. Like they're like, that shouldn't happen at all. But like local law enforcement should deal with that. Like that's kind of their position. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like this is just another example, too, of how intense, you know, school boards and education issues have gotten on the national political landscape and, you know, things that weren't politicized just a few years ago. I feel like it's a different ballgame now. Oh, yeah. Well, our next topic has always been controversial. It's abortion. I can't remember a time where it was ever like not controversial. So the Ohio legislature took another step and sort of their march towards more and more abortion restrictions. They passed a bill that basically it's kind of like a born alive protection, but that already existed. So basically what the bill says is if a baby is born alive during an abortion, you have to provide life-saving care, but then you also have to fill out paperwork recording that this happened. And what's weird is like, we already had a law that said you had to protect the life of any child born alive, but I guess this just adds the paperwork. It feels really confusing to me. Does it feel confusing to you? It is. It seems super technical. 
So they also threw in an amendment last minute that a couple abortion clinics in Southwest Ohio are worried about, think that this could affect them. It prohibits clinics from working with doctors who teach at state-funded hospitals or medical schools. There's one in Dayton that this could definitely impact. And, you know, there's another one that I think is still up in the air a little bit, but, you know, definitely concerned about that. And again, that was just kind of tossed in there, sort of the cherry on top of this bill. Yeah. So like abortion in Ohio, for people who are curious, is outlawed after 20 weeks. So like even Terry Johnson, the sponsor of the bill, said there may be no cases of this because that's that's beyond the edge of viability. And so um, there may be no instances where this actually ever happens. They just kind of want protection in the event that it does or perhaps, I guess, in the future, if what we consider viable changes, because I mean, what, 30, 40 years ago, like 30 weeks was the edge of viability. And now we're down to like 20. 22 weeks. Right. And I think it's worth noting too, I mean, this bill is just the latest in a series of bills that, you know, the GOP controlled legislature has passed and it's happening as you know the U.S. Supreme Court's about to take on a case that could, you know, proponents of abortion access are worried could completely undo Roe. So I think in states like Ohio, you're just seeing bills that are just aiming to continue to walk back access in the hope that the Supreme Court more or less tosses out Roe and allows states to do what they want. Yeah. And our last topic of the day is unemployment. So there was an audit that came out that sort of looked at how Ohio managed to accidentally pay out several billion dollars during the course of the pandemic. So from March 2020 to February of 2021, we paid out $475 million to basically criminals and $3.3 billion in overpayments. And so like when you looked at the audit, more than 25% of all unemployment payments during the last fit fiscal year were either fraudulent or overpayments. Like one in four dollars that went out shouldn't have gone out. Yeah, that's not a great statistic. And it's if, not a good look. No, no. And I mean, this is a problem that I think we've all been aware of for a while now. I mean, unemployment was just such a mess during the pandemic. And if you look through this audit, you know, they they have a few things that they're blaming for it. I mean, bad, outdated technology. They had some just like loose requirements for verifying applications and things like that. And so, you know, state officials have said that they're trying to get the unemployment system back on track. But a lot of people, I think, were hurt as a result of the um, the issues during the Yeah, especially if you had that overpayment. I know there's certain mechanisms that people can go through to say, like, please don't take the money back from me. And there's a process for that. And like, but the fact that we even had to like formalize and create a process for this has been kind of a mess. But like, when you look at it, I'm also like, you know, they paid out $900 million the year before the pandemic, like in unemployment. And then in 2021, they paid out like $14 billion. Like they were just pushing a lot more money out the door. And it sounds like they weren't at all prepared for that scale. No. And I mean, and to an extent, I don't know how you could have been prepared for COVID-19, but that's also not the time to realize that you have holes in your system. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really true. So hopefully they will learn from this. So like if there's another recession, hopefully not another pandemic, like I'm not ready for one in my lifetime, but like they'll be prepared hopefully the next time this comes around. So one last thing before you go, um, Ohioans are going to be able to let freedom ring or rather boom next summer. Um, it looks like after eight years and four different bills, we're finally going to legalize the use of fireworks. I got to say, 
before, you know, I'm I'm new to Ohio and I did not realize there was so much drama around <laughs> oh, around fireworks. So, yeah, we've had this weird like wink, wink, nod, nod thing where you can buy fireworks anywhere in Ohio. But you got to like sign this little thing saying I'm going to Michigan or I'm going to Pennsylvania or like West Virginia with my fireworks. And like people really aren't. So but legalizing it turned out to be really tricky. Yeah. And, you know, I think when the bill came up earlier this year, it was um, difficult timing. You know, as we know, a, a goalie for the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, lost his life in a tragic accident in Michigan earlier this year. And so I think, you know, for Governor DeWine, there may not have been an appetite right after that happened to sign this bill into legislation, but it is certainly something that people seem to have wanted for a while. Yeah. And the new bill made some modifications to like the safety requirements and the legalities of like where you can use them and how you can use them. That kind of our understanding is that the governor is going to sign it now with all of these changes. And so we'll finally be able to like be honest about what we're doing with our fireworks when we buy them. Yeah. And I'm not too sure people have been following the law stringently. If my uh, neighborhood on the 4th of July was any indication. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at beaconjournal.com. Beacon Journal.